Luke 19, 28 to 40. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jenny. Good morning, everyone. It's Palm Sunday, and uh, it's also spring break. I thought everybody would be gone this morning, but uh, no, there's still people left in the city here. And you're here at TCC this morning. So good to have you. Um, we are uh, switching course from our study of uh, the book of Ephesians uh, to uh, just a, a couple of weeks break here for the, for the Easter theme and this morning uh, uh, Palm Sunday, which is just a beautiful text uh, out of Luke chapter 19. And so excited today for uh, the baptisms of uh, both Ethan and Jada uh, and That will happen at the close of the service this morning. Do you remember the character? And uh, he certainly was a character. Dennis the Menace. Uh, Remember how he made... uh, Do you remember his neighbor, George Wilson? Remember how he made the life of George Wilson so miserable? He was always getting into trouble. Well, Dennis the Menace made an interesting observation to his mother as uh, she washed his dirty hands. And he said to her, uh, Kathy's mom must like me. So Dennis's mom said, well, why would you say that? Well, he said, I heard her say, I just wish he was my child for five minutes. (laughs) He might have misread that. The people of Jerusalem had a similar kind of distorted view of Jesus Christ. They cheered him on the first Palm Sunday as he entered Jerusalem, like, we really want you to be our Savior. And then on Friday, they said, we wish we could get our hands on him for five minutes. And they shouted, crucify him. So it's easy to misread Palm Sunday. It's easy to misread it. Today we enter into what is referred to as Holy Week. 
In the Eastern Church, they often refer to Holy Week with a different term. They call it the Great Week. It's the Great Week. In the West, we call it the Holy Week. But in the East, they call it the Great Week. And it truly is. So lest I forget at the end of the service to say it, I hope you have a great week. I hope you have a great week. Reading the Gospels, following the journey of Jesus, and uh, coming to know and appreciate even more who Jesus Christ is in your life. Now the word Hosanna is, uh, is a word that we pull out and we use on Palm Sunday because it's in the text, especially if you're reading the King James Version or the uh, ESV. So when you use the word Hosanna, you are really using the words uh, saved now, saved now. And so those were the words that were shouted to Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, saved now, saved now. We call it Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. It was kind of a strange celebration in the fact that it was a celebration for all the wrong reasons. In the hearts of people who cheered for Jesus, it really was a cheer for themselves, more than Jesus. They were mostly concerned about their victory over Rome. They wanted him to be their leader so, in fact, their lives could be better. We need someone who will lead us to victory. And they wanted to have their nation... Uh, once again be restored uh, to its strength. And they wanted their own king to rise up. And they wanted to push those Romans right out of their country. But it was a strange victory lap for those who watched. It wasn't as they might have expected. But nevertheless, they cheered. And they cheered hard. Conquering kings uh, usually rode in chariots uh, pulled by powerful horses. And they would have soldiers running alongside of the chariot, and there would be a mighty display of military prowess and, 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 and power, and the weapons would be on display and all of that. But this is so different, right? Jesus beginning his descent from the Mount of Olives, and he's riding on a donkey. But what he's doing, friends, is he's setting the stage so I want you to observe this morning how he does it. First of all, he's setting the stage for his disciples. If you're following in the text, uh, in Luke chapter 19, just come back to Luke 18, uh, and you will, you'll see how Jesus is prepping his men for the week that lies ahead. And actually, as we read this, you'll see how seemingly unprepared these men are for all that Jesus has covered in the curriculum. They've been to school for three years, and yet they're not quite, they're not quite getting it. It's like when we have a rehearsal for a Christmas concert, and at the end we say, oh my, I hope this thing comes off because this did not go very well. Well, here it is in Luke 18, 31. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen... We're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans and he will be mocked, treated shamefully and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. 
but on the third day he will rise again. Now listen to this. But they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. One week out, folks, one week out from the event that would change the, the, the history of the world. And these guys who've been with him for three years, they're not connecting the dots. The rehearsal has not gone well. I wonder how Jesus felt about this. Were the disciples thinking about their personal sacrifice to this point? You know, do you have that ability just to kind of block out the things you don't want to hear? Were they just kind of blocking out? Peter, for example, had left a lucrative fishing enterprise. And he had abandoned his wealth and he had sacrificed his future. And did you know, even left his wife in the care of others to devote himself exclusively to the Messiah and his mission? And to think he had done this, walked away from a very comfortable lifestyle to this, we have left this only to discover a leader who is going to die? This is all so wrong. Maybe they just didn't understand the mission, the real, the real mission. And friends, maybe that's a battle that we have too, the mission, the mission. What is the mission? How easy it is to get distracted from the mission. How easy to not connect the dots in the reality of everyday living. How unintended it is for all of us, too. I mean, the craziness of our schedules. The, the, the pressures of work. I just can hardly keep my head above it all. And it just, day after day, it just comes and it just comes and the mission seems distant. It can get lost. Do you feel like that sometimes? It's like, oh man, if you just see my schedule, I'm just down all the time. The mission? I haven't got time to think about the mission. Our English word mission comes from the Latin word sending. When we become followers of Christ, we accept our mandate of being sent into the world as representatives of Jesus Christ. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so I'm sending you. We have the privilege of working with God. Paul says that we're co-laborers together uh, with God. We're workers together with him. So to share the good news of eternal life is our greatest privilege, and we would all agree that is the highest privilege that we have. I mean, if your neighbor had cancer and your friends and you had the cure to his cancer, well, you would, you would beat a path over to your neighbor's place as fast as you could and to say, here's what you do. Here's what you need in, in this time, and this will fix it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think twice about making the cure known. But because you know Christ, you have the best solution to living. You know about his forgiveness. You know the peace that he's brought to your heart. You know the purpose uh, that he's, he's placed in your life. And you know you have eternal life now and forever. And so sharing it is the greatest kindness in the world. Rick Warren tells a story about his father. Rick Warren uh, 
pastor of Saddleback Community Church in Southern California. He, he writes, uh, my father was a minister for over 50 years, serving mainly in the rural communities and serving relatively small churches. He was a simple preacher, but he was said, uh, Rick said he was a man with a mission. In 1999, my father died of cancer, and in the final week of his life, his disease kept him alive in a semi-conscious state nearly 24 hours a day. And as he dreamed, he'd talk out loud, and Rick said, I learned so much about my father simply by listening to his dreams. And he said, one night near the end, while my father was, uh, uh, while my family was by his side, dad suddenly became very active and very very much like he wanted to get out of bed. So he tried to get out of bed. And Rick said, my wife said, no, Jimmy, you need to stay. You need to stay in bed because you can't get out of bed. But he persisted and he just really wanted to get out of bed. And finally, Rick's wife said, Jimmy, what are you trying to do? What do you want to say? And he replied, got to save one more for Jesus. Got to save one more for Jesus. Got to save one more for Jesus. And he began to repeat that phrase over and over again. And Rick said as he repeated that over and over again, the tears began to run down his cheeks. And he said, I bowed my head to thank God for my father's faith. At that moment, his dad reached out and he placed his frail hand upon my head and said, almost as if he was commissioning me, save one more for Jesus. Save one more for Jesus. And as Rick commented on the story, he said, I intend for that to be the theme for the rest of my life. And I invite you to make it your focus as well. Because nothing will make a greater difference for eternity. If we want to be used by God, you must care about the things that God cares about. What he cares about most is the redemption of the people that he made. Because he loves them so greatly. That's his most important mission. When I look at the text, I also am reminded of our current reality of not being prepared for death. The disciples didn't comprehend the pending death of their leader. They just didn't get it. They weren't prepared to think about it. And somehow death catches us off guard too. But it will happen. It's inevitable for you, for your loved ones, for your family, for all of us. The beginning of the end is right now, today. We are all on our way to death, no matter how young you are or how healthy you are. I'm sorry to put it so bluntly. The awareness of death, of course, intensifies as you grow older. But we never know the number of days that is granted to us. But it's a good thing to contemplate, not morbidly, but it's a good thing to contemplate and to face it. I think that's why Jesus repeatedly discussed his end with his disciples. Only as they began to accept his death could they begin to understand the meaning of his life Jesus perhaps knew that this would be hard for them. And maybe in his heart he said, they'll get it later. I, I can't imagine what he was thinking. But maybe he was saying, one day their eyes will be open. One day when they look back on this moment, they will say, oh, 
We just missed it so badly. But the Holy Spirit will open their eyes and they'll see the clarity of what I was trying to say to them. And that's exactly what happened. It took some time, but the Holy Spirit made it clear to them so that when the time came for them to go, uh, they were ready. But Jesus is setting the stage for the disciples as they would enter into this tumultuous week, the great week. Now, secondly, he's also setting the stage for God's plan to unfold. Uh, Luke 19, verse 28, after telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And as he came to the towns of Bethage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. Well, imagine uh, you just bought a brand new BMW convertible. You only had it a week. It's only got 200 clicks on it. Coming to church, TCC, on Sunday morning. And you stop by the bank over here to get a little bit of cash from the automatic teller. While you're there, two men walk up and tell you that their leader has told them to borrow your car. <laughs> because their master is going to ride in it that's why it needs to be a convertible, down Main Street, right into the city to announce who he is. They tell you that they'll have the car back to you in about three hours, but they have to have it immediately. Ah, so what would you do? Did Jesus have all this organized? I don't know. But sure enough, as they were untying the colt, the owner asked him, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it to ride on. And Jesus, you know, for the first time in his, all of his ministry, he actually planned something that was public that brought attention to him. He planned his own parade. This is the only time Jesus permitted a public demonstration on his behalf. And he did so for at least a couple of reasons. Up to this point, he had maintained some anonymity. Remember, he would say, okay, now go and tell no one. But now the time has come for some recognition. It was not ego recognition. It was to set the stage for what was to come. He knew that the world needed this particular parade. And so he came in humility. He put one leg over the back of the donkey and it was an act of humility. I heard about a man who was receiving an honorary degree at some university. And in introducing him, uh, uh, the president said, the man that we're honoring today is, uh, is a great man. You might say, in fact, that he's a very great man. I would even say that he's a very, very great man. While driving home after the ceremony, the man who had received this prestigious award turned to his wife and said, Dear, how many very, very great men do you think that there are in the world? 
She said, one less than you think there are here? Yeah. Jesus rode on that donkey. A sign of humility, not of arrogance. A sign of peace. This is the king getting on the back of a donkey. This is the one who's going to usher in the new kingdom. You would think, well, why not at least a trumpet blast? Why, why not... Uh, Strike up the band. Uh, it's a parade. No, not that extravagant. No, not military-like. No, no, no great pomp. And just a quiet, gentle sort of way, he slowly began to descend down this large hill that oversees uh, the city of Jerusalem. And he begins to come down this large hill called the Mount of Olives, and the crowds came to cheer him. Why was all of this so important? What's this parade all about? First, he, will, he was fulfilling prophecy. This will make you smile. We have to move back about five centuries, five centuries before this event took place uh, on the Mount of Olives. And we go back to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. In fact, if you go to the Gospel of Matthew 21, verse 4, it says, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a colt, riding on a donkey's colt. Uh, perhaps in your Bible you see a, a little bit of uh, a different font that's used, or it, th this section is in italics. It's because he, he's quoting. He's quoting. This is the Zechariah prophecy. And isn't it, isn't it uh, fascinating how it gets fulfilled to the very last detail, even to a donkey's colt. Not just a donkey, but a donkey's colt. You think scripture doesn't fulfill itself? I mean, if all of these prophecies were fulfilled during the scriptures, why would we doubt that uh, scriptures would be fulfilled beyond the scriptures? That prophecy would be fulfilled beyond the scriptures? Some are yet to be fulfilled, notably, the second return of Jesus Christ as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. John writes, verse 12, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Chapter 12, verse 12. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. That's what they were shouting. Save us now. Save us now. Save us from the Romans. Hosanna, save us. Jesus, fill our stomachs. Jesus, heal our diseases. Jesus, solve our problems. Jesus, restore our nation. Give us our flag back again. Get rid of these Romans. See, the crowds, they didn't know a lot about Jesus. They just perceived him to be one who could come to their rescue. It's not a spiritual interest. It's a physical, meet-my-needs interest. It's a political interest. They just knew he had power, but they didn't understand his mission. Little do they know he's on his way to the cross. Little do they know that in a matter of one week, uh, uh, that he, he, will, he will face the cross and he will die an ugly death that will stun the world. Little do they know. 
So first Palm Sunday happened because Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. And it was validating who he was. That was important. The second reason for Palm Sunday was to arouse the hostility of his enemies. Because if you read Matthew 26, verses 3 to 5, you hear the plot of the religious leaders to take Jesus out, to kill him. But not during the Passover in case there might be pushback from the people. So they were keeping it very political and, and they were going to wait till after the Passover. So they wanted to kill him after the Passover, but God had ordained that his son would be slain on Passover as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Every previous attempt to arrest Jesus had failed because, as the Scripture put it, his hour had not yet come. And then when the religious leaders saw what happened on Palm Sunday, they knew, this thing's gone. We can't control this anymore. Uh, Palm Sunday forced them to act. And the crowd, when they saw Jesus riding on this colt, the crowd started to cheer and they started to praise God. They suddenly got into it and they're applauding Jesus. They're applauding him all the way down that, the Mount of Olives. It must have been a mighty chorus of accolades because verse 39 says, But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And I love this verse in the Bible. Jesus replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Don't you love that? Whenever I read that, it's just such a good feeling. Uh, and I just love how he, he responds so pointedly and uniquely. They want him to, to shut the mouths of his disciples and his followers. Stop them. Tell them to be quiet. Uh, we don't want to hear all these, hear, these, these choruses and these cheers for Jesus. And Jesus says, if they kept quiet, the stones would cry out. The rocks would cry out. Do you want that to happen? Do you want to hear something amazing? Well, stand back. Rocks here over in this left part of the orchestra, stand up. Give a cheer. Yell. Scream. Cheer for Jesus. Over here in the middle, stand up, cheer. Over here in the right, stand up, cheer. And uh, can't you just see it? One rock after another just standing on, on end over the place and just starting to sing a chorus of praise. There they are, they're singing. Yeah, they're singing, Hosanna, can't you hear it? Hosanna, speak up, boulders. Sing it out. Oh, my. Wouldn't that have been something? Jesus said, if they kept quiet, the stones will cry out. And that wouldn't have been a problem for Jesus. That wouldn't have been a problem. Remember the wind and the waves. Remember, he's the one who raises the dead. So why not rocks? Why not rocks? No problem to have a little old rock sit up on edge and sing its heart out. Oh, by the way, Palm Sunday reminds us of the importance of praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving are two important components of our prayer life. And it's so helpful to know why it's important to praise God. It's not just a, a good idea. It's not just a great idea. It really is a wonderful idea. Reasons to praise God. First of all, because praise is, is a right and fitting sacrifice to give to the Lord. It's just the right thing to do. The scripture refers to thanksgiving 
as a pleasing sacrifice to God. Read Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Secondly, because through praise, we come into and experience God's presence. Yes, while offering thanksgiving to God, and uh, that would just be the right thing to do. Praising God would be the right thing to do. do. But uh, Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So when we bring our offerings to the gates of his dwelling, he doesn't just tell us to, well, just drop them off and I'll pick them up tonight or I'll pick them up in the morning. No, he says, when you, when you come to the gates, when you come to the gates with praise and thanksgiving, just know that those gates are going to open up for you when you come to the gates and you can come right into the presence of God and you can meet with me and I will be with you. And there you will experience my presence. Thirdly, we offer praise and thanksgiving because we experience the joy of the Lord and peace uh, through praise. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And listen to this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So just a few reasons to give praise to God. So important for us every day. Come with a heart of thanksgiving. And if you are a person that looks at life uh, as a glass that's half empty, when you come with praise and thanksgiving, it helps you look at life as a glass that's half full. It changes your perspective. It changes you. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand it that People were giving praise to Jesus Christ. But let it be an incentive for all of us to praise him and to give him thanks and to come into his presence every day. Because when you do, when you come to those gates, they open up for you and you come right into the presence of God. He was setting the stage. Thirdly, he was setting the stage for the future. There's one moving scene here that uh, we just cannot miss before we conclude And it's the picture of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. And it's in verse 41 of uh, Luke 19. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he, he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. He began to weep. Now that stirred my heart as I thought of it. Uh, Because often I've thought of this passage as Jesus sitting on the hill uh, outside of Jerusalem and weeping over. But this particular passage is that Jesus is weeping as he's sitting on the back of a donkey. So it was just kind of a new new insight for me. Here he is. He's, 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 He's deeply troubled and disturbed. And the closer he gets to Jerusalem, he sees the great city and he's overcome with emotion. And he says, I wish you understood the way of peace. I wish you really got it. He's talking to the city. I wish you, I wish you understood peace, but you don't. And then he prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem that came about in A.D. 70. 
And he says, your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. All those words jumped out at me. You did not recognize it when God visited you. By the way, you should know that the weeping of Jesus here, as it's described, was not just a little tear that slipped out of his eyes. It means actually weeping deeply. Have you ever heard people cry like that? I know you have. Have you ever held someone who was weeping deeply and you just held them and you just, you just felt the, the sobs and you felt the stomach like they're just weeping intensely? And that's, how, that's the description here. He comes, he comes riding on the back of a donkey. He sees Jerusalem in view and he begins to weep. A deep, guttural cry for the people of Jerusalem. Tears flood his eyes. And what he's saying is it could have been so different. You didn't know that God visited you. It could have been so different. What a heart of compassion. What a reminder for us to always leave room in your life for compassion. On his way to his own death, he's thinking of others. He has time for compassion. He has time to weep. I'll close with this story. I heard a story of a lady who walked into a grocery store. She had lost her husband of uh, 57 years. It's a long time. And they'd often gone to this little grocery store to shop. And she said, while I was shopping, I knew his drill. He would always secretly be buying three yellow roses for me. And uh, he would do it all the time. And then he'd surprise me with the roses later. So she said, as I walked into this grocery store now for the first time after his death, it all felt so different. I was alone. I only wanted to buy a few items. I searched for the perfect steak because my husband likes steaks. But do you just buy one little steak? As I stood there at the meat counter looking uh, for what to buy, an attractive lady came up beside me wearing a beautiful green coat. <laughs> she took a package of steaks from the freezer and she put it into her cart. She thought about it and then she put it back into the freezer again. Our eyes caught and she looked a little embarrassed and she said, my husband and, and family love T-bone steaks, but I don't know, at these prices. I said uh, to her, my, my husband passed away eight days ago, and we liked steaks too. I said to her, buy the steaks and cherish every moment. I saw some emotion in her eyes and she, she put the steaks back in the cart again. And I went to the milk section to get a small liter of milk. Moments later, I saw the lady headed in my direction with the brightest smile on her face. She just seemed radiant. She was just glowing. And when she got to me, she held out three yellow roses and handed them to me. These are for you. And she bent over and she gave me a kiss on the cheek. And then she turned around and she left. 
I wanted to tell her how grateful I was. I wanted to tell her that that's what my husband always did. But I was just unable to speak. I was just so filled with emotion. And she was now gone, and she's gone down the aisle. I looked at those roses that I knew she couldn't have known, but God knew. And he was leading me forward. Just a moment of compassion reminded me of God's care. But what an awesome Savior. What an awesome Savior and a reminder to us all today to always leave some room in your life for compassion. Jesus, on his way to his own death, had time to weep over Jerusalem. He was setting the stage for the future. Palm Sunday, setting the stage for a great week ahead. May you be blessed as you follow his journey. Oh, yes, and have a great week. Have a great week. Let's stand for prayer.